Welcome to the Mama Safe Fit Podcast. Today's episode is going to be my second birth story, which is a home birth story during the COVID pandemic. Welcome to the Mama Safe Fit Podcast. This is Gina, perinatal fitness trainer and birth doula. And this is Roxanne, labor and delivery nurse and student midwife. And this is the Mama Safe Fit Podcast, where we empower you on your prenatal fitness, birth, and postpartum return to fitness journey. Our podcast shares how to move throughout your pregnancy to stay strong and comfortable. Pain is not a requirement of pregnancy. Understand the science of birth and how to approach recovery after birth. We share our personal experiences as mothers navigating the stage of lives, plus our professional expertise as birth workers and fitness professionals. Our goal is to help you feel confident as you navigate the perinatal timeframe for an empowering pregnancy, positive birth, and postpartum journey. We are glad to have you with us on this journey and that you've chosen us to support you. Before we get too into this week's episode, I do want to put out a disclaimer that this week's episode does discuss pregnancy loss and miscarriage. Around a year postpartum, my husband and I decided that we wanted to conceive our second child. And we tried for a few months, I think probably almost like six months before we finally got pregnant. And it was really exciting. I told everyone right away, I'm pretty big on like sharing about my pregnancies really early. And in hindsight, I was really glad that I had done that. And so around nine weeks, I felt really anxious and I just really wanted to see the baby. And Roxanne was working on a labor and delivery floor. And I I don't remember why I was in the hospital that day, but I had asked the midwife that was on the floor with her if we can do like a quick ultrasound just to see the baby. So she did an ultrasound and she like couldn't find what a nine week old baby should look like at this point. And so you can see the gestational sac, which was just like this black ness within my uterus but there was no like nine week baby and I remember seeing Adeline my daughter when she was eight weeks and it was like a little gummy bear and so I didn't see that and I could tell that everyone was a little concerned and so she grabbed the OB and the OB came in and was also like oh well maybe you're not as pregnant as you think you are and I was like well I can see being off like a week or so but I'm not that off like I'm not a month off (laughs) from it so the OB told me to see her in the clinic the next day and so I scheduled an appointment and I went to the clinic the next day for another ultrasound because they had a better ultrasound machine down in the clinic. And it was the same thing. They couldn't find a baby. They could see like a really big yolk sac, like a fetal pole, but there was no baby. There was no heartbeat. There was nothing in there. And so we went in for like another week or so and same thing, there was no baby. I found myself absorbed in forums about missed miscarriage, which means like your body had a miscarriage but didn't realize that it did and was still acting pregnant. And so I was like consumed and looking in these forums on like, okay, all these people's babies were hidden, like the ultrasound machine wasn't working well. And so I was like really holding on to hope that it was fine, like it was totally fine. But then it kind of came to a point where we realized that it was not fine and that this was not a viable pregnancy anymore. But I was really grateful to have had like a few weeks to process this. So we opted to take medication at home to pass the pregnancy. And it was just kind of like a numb experience. I didn't really know like what to feel because there was no baby for me to like mourn. It was really confusing for me. And then we opted to try again right away. But my husband deployed about a month after this happened and so we didn't conceive within that month and so we didn't get to try again until he got home a few months later so he came home in the summer and we started 
started trying again and we got pregnant and it was awesome. And then I had an early miscarriage again at like five weeks. And so I found a pregnancy test, it was positive. I went and did blood work, it was positive. And then like two days later, I started bleeding. And so it was just like really confusing because you're told like one out of every four of us will have a miscarriage, but the likelihood of you having a second one is like so low. And so I'm like, how am I having two in a row? Like this is ridiculous. But I was fortunate at that point because my provider, who was just like a normal doctor, so not an OB, said like, hey, like you've had two in a row, like three is like considered recurrent miscarriage, but let's do blood work now because if you have another one or if you have trouble getting pregnant, like we may want to refer you to fertility to see what's going on. And so she was getting ready to do like a whole like workup on me to prep me to go to fertility. And so we did some blood work and we found that my thyroid antibody levels were like super high. Like I think they're supposed to be like 30 and mine was like 300 or something like that. I don't know the exact number. I'm probably off on that, but it was like a ridiculously high number, which could be an indicator of like autoimmune issues or like inflammation. Let's take a break from this week's episode to share about one of our sponsors, Needed. I always stress the importance of a quality prenatal on top of a healthy diet and lifestyle. I found, however, that there are trade-offs with even the better prenatal options out there. That's why I'm especially excited to introduce you to Needed, a nutrition company focused on optimal nourishment for moms. Needed offers the most comprehensive prenatal multi on the market with the best nutrient forms and dosages to help you thrive, not just survive. Not only is it nutritionally complete, but it also comes in three options, a powder, capsules, or essentials. The powder is especially awesome in smoothies and for those that hate taking pills. Needed hand-selected every ingredient and nutrient dose, including spending thousands of hours reviewing supplier sourcing records, clinical literature, and the in-practice clinical data of practitioners. That last point is really important as there are many gaps in women's health research. Needed's real-time expert clinical perspective is really unique. Get started today and save 20% off at checkout with code MAMASTAYPOD. Visit thisisneeded.com. And so my husband and I decided to do like a autoimmune paleo diet. So for one month, we did this like really strict protocol that took essentially all of the foods that can cause inflammation out of our diet. Um, It was really good food, but it was super restrictive. Like you couldn't even eat like certain spices as well. I mean, we ended up getting pregnant right away. So we had our loss in like the very next cycle we got pregnant. The OB team was great where they gave me like weekly ultrasounds. We were doing like blood work pretty frequently just to check on baby and the viability of the pregnancy. And so it was really reassuring that the providers that I had were like very compassionate and that they were very aware that of my history. And so that meant a lot to me in the beginning. And what I had found from my previous two losses was that it was really helpful to have shared about my pregnancy because when I had those losses, I had people that I can then grieve with, people that I can talk to and not feel so alone in it. And so sharing about my pregnancies for me personally was really beneficial when I had losses because then I was able to also have a support system after the losses as well. So I had folks that were there to help celebrate the pregnancy with me and then also grieve with me as well. But that was just a personal preference for me. And so with this new pregnancy, I again told everybody right away with the thought of, well, if we have another loss, at least I'll have that same support system again. And so we had weekly ultrasounds, we did weekly blood work and everything was looking really good. Like baby was growing every week, we can see him. And so I was feeling more confident that the pregnancy was gonna continue, but I definitely felt a lot more detached from the experience where I was almost trying to like protect myself 
And one lady who I had connected with during my losses on Instagram, and it's, it's probably the coolest thing about social media is the opportunity to connect with people all over the world with all these different experiences. So she had had two later pregnancy losses. Not that it was like a competition or anything, but I felt I had kind of told myself that her losses were more than mine. But you can have an early pregnancy loss and it can still be very significant for you and it doesn't invalidate your experience. So I was talking to her and was telling her how I felt very disconnected from my pregnancy and that I was almost afraid to bond and connect with my baby. And she told me like, well, I didn't regret bonding with my baby, even though I lost them. I was happy to have the moments that I had with my babies, even though I never got to meet them. And that meant a lot to me to where I was like, it would still hurt the same if I have another pregnancy loss, regardless if I've bonded with this baby or I haven't. It's not gonna be a minimized experience if I am disconnected, if I'm detached emotionally. And so that kind of gave me the permission to finally connect with my baby. And this wasn't until like my second trimester where I was starting to feel him move and I was still getting like frequent ultrasounds just for my own anxiety. And so that was definitely something that was really helpful for me that my providers were doing the ultrasounds for me so I didn't have to pay for them. But we did have some private or like boutique ultrasound clinics in the area that you can pay for ultrasounds. And so I bought like a package with them so that I can get more frequent ultrasounds just to see the baby for my own anxiety. And so throughout the pregnancy, the providers were great. They were really checking on me, making sure everything was good. I started doing like centering, which is like a group prenatal appointment. And so it's typically more for people that are like first time, it's like their first pregnancy to kind of meet other folks. But there was actually a bunch of like second time parents within the group as well. And so it's a group class. And so you're meeting people that are all due around the same time as you. And then it's run by a midwife and they bring like different folks in to do like different educational topics. And it was really awesome. And I was like really enjoying going to them just to like learn more and to like meet other people. Then COVID happened and it was super confusing at first. We didn't really know what was gonna happen. All my prenatal appointments pretty much got canceled. I think I was around like 26 weeks at this time and my next appointment wasn't until I was like almost 36 weeks. We didn't really know what was going on. And then I started getting really concerned that my partner or my husband wasn't even gonna be allowed in the hospital. At the time, there was like lots of restrictions on who can be in the hospital with you at your birth. So you couldn't have a doula, you couldn't have any other family members. It can only be like your partner. But then I started hearing in like New York City that like even the partners couldn't be in the hospital. And so I found myself feeling like really anxious that we can find ourselves in a position where I'm giving birth by myself in the hospital. And I just didn't want that. And at the time we all thought like the COVID would go away really quickly, that it'd be like two weeks. And so I was like, you know what? We should start looking at other options now while there are still options available to us as opposed to waiting to see if things change by June. As we all know, by June, they did not change. <laughs> so we opted to look for a home birth midwife at this time. So I was planning an unmedicated hospital birth with a midwife, and then we opted to switch to a home birth. One, because I wasn't receiving really any prenatal care anymore because everything was like drive-through or like a phone call. And then I was very concerned about the restrictions that we were gonna have in the hospital. 
Fortunately for us, the midwife that we hired normally takes the month of June off. Like she goes to Alaska to visit her family. And so she did not have anybody booked for June, even though she had now canceled her vacation because of COVID. And so she was able to take me on in my third trimester, which is unheard of. Like we had her for our most recent home birth and I had to call her like the moment I peed on a stick. That's how quickly you have to call and book her because she books up because there's just not a lot of availability in our state. And so she just happened to have the month of June available because she had canceled her vacation and it just like worked out so perfectly. So I started seeing her very quickly after that for my prenatal appointments, even though I was not receiving care at the hospital that I was going to, but I was still going to them for like certain labs and ultrasounds that I would need um, whenever I could get in. My husband and I felt pretty comfortable giving birth at home. We didn't really have any reservations about it. And I felt pretty confident that if there was any sort of emergency that our midwife was going to be able to take care of us or identify an issue before it becomes an issue. And so when you are giving birth in a location that doesn't have the same like emergency response capabilities that like a hospital or like a freestanding birth center would have, you have to start making decisions about transferring before things become emergencies. And so We have things called like pink flags that are an indicator that an issue may be coming. It likely won't develop into one, but there's a higher likelihood that it might. And so if you are thinking about doing a home birth, it can be helpful to talk with your midwife on what their kind of triggers are. We need to start having a conversation about transferring. Like we don't have an emergency right now, but we are potentially looking at one later on if we stay at home. And so we felt pretty confident that our midwife who had like decades of experience was going to be able to help us navigate that. And I felt confident that if she brought up transferring, it was because I really needed to and that I trusted her to be able to provide great prenatal care for me. So I, for whatever reason, every pregnancy convinced myself that I'm going to go early. And I don't know why I do that because I never do. But for this one, especially, I was like, I'm measuring bigger. He's right on track. I'm going to be early. And then like 38 weeks passed and then 39 weeks passed. And then I made it all the way to my due date. And I was just like emotional mess. Every pregnancy, I do this to myself. And so on my due date, I was still pregnant and I was very sad about it. And I thought maybe I was holding on to something like maybe I I'm afraid of something. And what I determined was the thing that I was holding myself back from going into labor with was that I was scared that I wasn't going to be enough for two children. And so previous to this, it was just really me and my daughter because my husband was deployed a lot. And so it was just like her and I like conquering the world together. I was nervous like how that dynamic was going to change from one to two. And I think for a lot of my friends, it seemed like a similar concern of theirs was like, I've given everything I have to this one kid. How can I do that to two kids and like not just completely deplete myself or am I going to be enough for two? And so I sat by my bed, I turned all the lights off and I like had like a low light on and put some like quiet music on. I just kind of like cried to myself and told myself that there would be enough of me for two babies. And then I went to sleep. And then the next day I went into labor. So it worked. (laughs) A good cry is sometimes all you need to just kickstart things. So when we have folks that message us on Instagram that are like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at my due date, but I'm really ready to go into labor. I'm like, just have a good sob. Sometimes that's all you need. If you're having a stall in labor, just have a good sob. Sometimes that's all you need, like a good fear release. Cause sometimes just kickstart things for you. 
And so one day after my due date, I woke up and I started having some contractions. And it was really similar to my daughter's labor because I woke up with her labor. I woke up after a full night of sleep and I started having contractions. And so with my daughter's labor, I immediately got up and I like walked like five miles and I was really anxious about things stopping because I was gonna be a deuce the next day. But for this labor, I felt so much more relaxed because I just felt confident that I was gonna be able to have the birth that I wanted. I had a great provider that like truly trusts in my ability to give birth. I had like a whole team that was ready to support me. And so I felt just so much more relaxed and I was like, oh, I guess I'll just like keep laying here and resting. And so I texted my midwife and I said, hey, I'm having contractions. This feels like early labor. And she was like, well, if you feel rested, you can get up and move. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I guess I can not just lay here until active labor begins. So I got up and I started like walking up my stairs and down my stairs and just kind of moving my body. And my mom had started staying at our house so that she can be ready to take care of my daughter during the labor. And so if you're giving birth at home or really just anywhere, it's a good idea to have someone assigned to take care of your older children. And so my mom was like the assigned to taking care of my daughter. And so she woke up and she saw me walking up and down the stairs and I was like, hey, I'm in labor. It's, it's still really early right now. So at this point it was maybe like 8 a.m. So I call Roxanne and I say, hey, you know, I'm starting labor. And so she went and grabbed breakfast. It was like waffles and like potatoes and stuff from this. <laughs> Super nutritious options. <laughs> it was so good though. There's a really good waffle place near us that does this like lemon. I think it's like lemon blueberry compote and it's just pure sugar, I'm sure, just on top of a waffle. We had bacon but too, it, some We protein. did have some bacon and I think- An avocado. I, I think Gina's husband made eggs, but mostly the waffle was what was eaten. It was delicious. So we ate breakfast. I like did a short workout, I think before breakfast, like a really, really short one, maybe 20 minutes. It was like my final workout of pregnancy. Then Roxanne and my daughter started baking a cake. So for weeks they had been planning like the birthday cake that they were gonna make for my son. And so the two of them kind of decorated it together. And I just kind of alternated between like resting and like moving my body. And one of my friends who's a massage therapist came over to the house and gave me like a labor massage. And so I just felt like so supported during the beginning part of my birth. And I just felt like so much more relaxed, which is like a huge difference between just the two births to begin with. So before the massage, I think around like 10 a.m., my midwife like stopped into the house to do, I was actually supposed to have a prenatal appointment that day. She asked me if I wanted to drive to her office, which is about an hour away, or she can just come to me. And I was like, please come to me. I do not want to drive in this. And we always joke that I was gonna have a car birth on the way to my home birth. Um, so I was like, I would like to not, please. So she came to the house, checked in on me. Everything was looking really good. And then my friend came over to do the massage. After that, I could definitely feel things starting to pick up and texted my midwife again to say, hey, like things seem like they're really progressing. And she said that she would be back on her way. And this was probably like 3 or 4 p.m. So at this point, I had been in labor for maybe like 10 hours because they started at like 6 a.m. And then like 3 or 4 p.m. we texted her to start heading back because I definitely felt like I was shifting into more of like an active labor pattern. Like I was still like early active where I was needing more support during my contractions, but I was still fairly present in between. 
And so we went for a walk and I was kind of like making jokes in between the contractions, but they were definitely feeling like a lot more intense. And I kind of joked like, oh, maybe I'm just going to like laugh through my whole labor. I did not. Spoiler alert. I did not. <laughs> Laughing ended very soon. <laughs> yeah. So by the time we got back from the walk, it was probably like a mile walk. My midwife and her birth assistant had arrived at the house and I could definitely feel myself starting to shift more into an active labor pattern. I was laboring in the bedroom for a while, and then my midwife asked if she could do a cervical exam just to see where I was at before I got into the pool. She, I guess, wanted to know if she should have everything ready or not because it seemed like I was progressing pretty well. She didn't say what I was, and so I immediately got into my head and was like concerned that I was like three centimeters, and I was like, am I still three centimeters? She's like, oh no, you're like five or six. And I was like, okay, I'm not 10, but I'll I'll take it. Like, that sounds good to me. (laughs) It just kind of reminded myself that cervical dilation was just a moment in time and not a predictor of how fast my labor will go. So I got into the pool, which was the first time that I had ever like submerged myself during a labor because my previous labor, I didn't get in the tub at all. And so it was really relaxing to get into the water, but I kind of felt like I was floating away at a certain point because I couldn't quite find like the perfect position to be in, but it definitely brought a lot of relief just being in the warm water. But I kind of wish I had like my husband or someone like get in the pool with me to provide me a little bit more support because I felt like I was having a hard time getting into a good position. So I probably labored in the pool for about like an hour, got out, and we started kind of moving around the bedroom again. I think at this point it was like 8.30 because I remember looking up at the TV to see what time it was. So at this point I had been in like an active labor pattern for maybe like two, two and a half hours. So after we labored in the bedroom, I could feel my contractions kind of shifting into my thighs a little bit more. And so it wasn't as much in my abdomen and it was more like the outer glutes, outer thighs. And I thought that was interesting. And I remember like noting that in my head. And so like Roxanne was applying like counter pressure and like jiggling. And like my husband was like, they were kind of trading off with one another who was applying counter pressure. And I decided that I like wanted to get in the shower. Like I needed something different. And I think she even asked me like, what do you want to do now? Like what position do you want to try? What comfort technique do you want? And I was like, I don't know. Like, which is like a huge sign that somebody is in transition when they start saying like, I don't know what I want. Like, I don't know what's going on anymore. So she later said that she like knew at that point that I was in transition and that we were going to meet Owen soon. And so we got up, I got in the shower and I just felt myself like doing these little quarter squats and really shifting my weight into like one leg repeatedly and kind of coming up on my toes a little bit more, which are all like telltale signs that somebody's getting ready to start pushing. And I was feeling this like pressure. I first felt it in like my perineum, which later I realized was my bag of water was bulging a little bit more. So that amniotic fluid sac was like pushing into like my vaginal canal. And that's what that pressure was that I was feeling in addition to like a baby head. And so I remember feeling this like pressure, but it was more in like my vagina. And I was like, well, people always say you feel it in your butt. In the shower, I remember thinking to myself, we're never doing this again. This is it for me. Like, I'm never doing this again. Gina says this during every birth she has. And then immediately afterwards, I'm like, I need eight more children. (laughs) So obviously, I like it enough to do it multiple times. I think I even said to Roxanne, I'm feeling pressure. Like, it's just something feels like it's right there. And I was starting to get a little bit more, like, emotional and just, like, a little disoriented and starting to kind of doubt myself. And I tend to get just, like, really weepy when I'm in transition where I just want to cry. 
So I wanted to get out of the shower and I was feeling a little overwhelmed and I walked to the side of the bed and I remember leaning on the bed and going, how much more time do I have? Like, I'm so tired. And then I stood up and immediately bore down or bared down, like just this deep, guttural. Started bearing down, down, whatever the word is. Bore down. It was was very disoriented in the moment. I don't even know what words to use thinking about it. So I immediately started pushing. So the fetal ejection reflex is when you spontaneously push. And I was doing that with like every fiber of my being. It was almost like vomiting out of my vagina, Um, but it was a baby. So the fetal ejection reflex, I tend to see more with folks that are unmedicated or don't have an epidural, and it can kind of vary in intensity. So for some of us, like me, it's like incredibly out-of-body experience and very strong, and for others, it's a little bit more subtle, or they feel more in control with it. And so neither option is like necessarily better, it just can be really individualized. So for me, it was like a very out-of-body experience. I had been really wanting to have a water birth because I associated home birth with having a water birth, but I put our pool in the kitchen and we were in our bedroom <laughs> and I was like, we're not having a water birth. We're giving birth to this baby right here by the bed because that like 50 feet was way too far for me. So we're pushing by the side of the bed and I just feel like really overwhelmed by the sensation of pushing that I just want to lay down. Like I had no big vision for like what position I wanted to push in, but I really wanted my husband to catch the baby and I just wanted to be somewhat comfortable. And so I opted to actually lay down in the bed and was kind of like sideline. And so I pushed for maybe like another push and I can feel like the amniotic fluid sac to like emerge. And I actually started like poking at it because I knew like once it broke, he would follow. And so I asked my midwife, like, please break my water. She was like, are you sure? Like he can be born in call, which means like baby is born in their amniotic fluid sac. And I was like, my children have giant heads. They're all like 99th percentile heads. I don't need more adding on to that head. Please break it. Um, And then I was actually like pathetically like clawing at it, trying to break it myself. And so she broke it for me, thank God. And like the next push, he like came out. And I'm actually really sad because our photographer did not get my husband actually catching the baby because he flew out so quickly. And so my husband was like prepped and then his head came out and then his body just shot out quickly after that and then placed him onto my chest. And I was like, oh my God, that was intense. So for me, pushing was definitely the most intense part of labor, but it was also like the most powerful for me. Like it just felt so like raw and out of body. And it was like a really cool experience. I wouldn't want to do that every day, but it was like so empowering to like feel that sensation of like my son coming out and then him coming directly to my chest. And it was really cool for my husband to actually be able to catch the baby. And so my husband didn't grow up with a father and they have a really good relationship now. But when he was born, his dad actually wasn't at his birth. And so for us, it was like really important that the first person that got to like hold my son was my husband. And so he was the first one to essentially put his hands on our son as he brought him out of my body and placed him on my chest. And then then I held him from them because he was my baby. I just did all that work. I should hold the baby. (laughs) (laughs) He was my baby, not our baby anymore. (laughs) At that point, he was now my baby. And it was really cool. So he started crying pretty much right away and there was like no issues. And looking back on the labor, it was like everything that I was hoping for and wanting, which is definitely not common 
and was not the case for like my next birth and was definitely not the case for my first birth. And so not that I think that we should put the pressure of redemption or healing on our subsequent births and our children, but I felt like my birth was like so healing for me from my first birth. And I felt so incredibly supported by my midwife, by her birth assistant. I had like the best team to support me with Roxanne. My mom was there with both Roxanne and my daughters. My husband was there. And so everyone that I wanted to be there was there for my birth. And even my friend had time to come and do a massage in the middle of my labor. My photographer was there. And so it was just like, I wanted to wake up with contractions and that happened. And, you know, things progressed slowly throughout the day. And then my active labor was on the shorter side. It was only about three hours. I think I only pushed for like five minutes, which was significant compared to my first where I pushed for like two and a half hours. It's a little longer than five minutes. It felt like five minutes. It was, it felt longer than that actually. Um, But looking at my records, looking at my records, it was like seven minutes. It was just so different from my first birth. One, because of the support that I had. And I just felt like everyone around me just believed in my power. And then getting to experience an unmedicated birth was just the most empowering experience of my life. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting an epidural. Like I got one for my first because that's what I needed at that time. And I've had plenty of clients who have had really empowering experiences with an epidural. But for me personally, I definitely found an unmedicated birth was like worth the discomfort and the pain. Like it was just such a powerful experience. And it was so healing for me to be able to birth my son in the way that I wanted to with the people that I like loved just surrounding me, which would have been so different had I continued to on my plan to give birth in a hospital where it would have just been me and my husband, whatever random resident or midwife that was on call that day with some nurse I've probably met like once before. And so being at home was exactly what we needed at that time and is what we chose for our subsequent birth as well. When Gina was pushing, she did remember she wanted Adeline to be at the birth. So while she's like laying down on the bed, she just looks at me and she goes, I need Adeline. I need Adeline. And I so I sprint out of the room. I had no idea in Gina's house where this child was. I'm on like a journey to find Adeline. And I'm like screaming, Mom, where are you? Finally, I find her. I felt like forever. I was like, Gina's definitely had this baby by now. I find Adeline. I was like, Adeline, your brother's coming. Throw her on my shoulder and run back down the stairs. And as soon as we walk into the room, I think you could see Owen's head with like the amniotics. Or I think that they had just broke the water. So you could see Owen's head like crowning. And Adeline just looks over and she just goes, my baby brother is coming to play with me. And it was the cutest, most adorable thing. And then Owen was born shortly after. And it was like so cute. She was so excited to be there. And that was probably the one thing about the home birth that I loved, that Adeline was just so excited to meet her baby brother. And she could be there right when he was born. Definitely getting to include my other children in the birth was like a huge bonus with home birth. Um, And it's something that was like really exciting for our subsequent home birth as well. We did a lot of stuff during pregnancy to prepare Adeline for the home birth. She was three at the time. So she was able to conceptualize that there was a baby in my belly and that this was her brother and that he was going to come out of my body and be here to play with her. And so we watched like YouTube videos during my pregnancy of people like giving birth 
then like all sorts of different types, like really quiet people, very loud people. And then we had like a home birth book that we would read. It was a storybook that one of our followers had actually sent to us. It was called Welcome Home. And so we read that every day. And so it just kind of was like making her really excited for the birth. And then during the labor, I wasn't sure if I was gonna like want her right next to me the whole time or like what I was gonna want. And so having my mom there to be like the primary caregiver for her was really helpful. And so she kind of stayed by my side during like early labor. We actually took like a bath in early labor together with the salts and herbs from my mother's blessing, which was like really cool to do. And so she was there for the early labor part, like into like the early active. And then by the time I made it to the pool, I was like not really wanting her like right next to me anymore because um, I just really needed to focus and she was like really touchy. And then while I was pushing, I like recalled that I wanted her like right next to me. And so that I was like, like, go find her. Um, and so instant panic. <laughs> so Roxanne's like sprinting around the house. And, my, and like they, I think they had just gone to bed too because it was just after nine when I started pushing. And so everyone was like a little disoriented when we were like, wake up, come baby brother. And so it was, it was really cool to have like her involved in the birth and involved in the preparation and there to meet him like right away as he was born. And not everybody wants their kids with them as they are birthing their children, but I definitely wanted her right next to me. So giving birth at home was definitely worth it to me. I Loved being able to have like really long prenatal appointments with my midwife. Like all my appointments were about an hour during pregnancy. And so I felt like like she was really able to get to know me and kind of my preferences. It helped me build like a lot of trust with her. I knew that she was gonna be my provider and that I had full control on like who was gonna be in my space. Because after Adeline's birth, I felt like exhausted because we had somebody coming into the room like every hour to like do my vitals, to check on baby. And then we also had like random people that just like wanted to congratulate you with like a gift basket or something, which was like nice, but we were just so tired. One of the onesies that they gave us after Adeline's birth was like covered in glitter. And I found that glitter on her for like months. Like She just- The gift that just keeps on giving. She probably had glitter on her until, she probably still has it on her. That's six years later. So the nicest part about being at home was nobody bothered me. I just got to sleep in my own bed, which was really nice. I think a lot of people get anxious with home birth on like it being really messy. Like obviously birth is not like liquid free. There's a lot of fluids. But what you do when you give birth in your bed is you put clean sheets and you put a waterproof cover and then you put another set of sheets. So after you get birth, you take off the waterproof cover and the top set of sheets and then you got clean sheets and you just sleep on those. And then your midwife and her birth assistant just do all the laundry for you. And they clean up all the trash and all of like the birth stuff, which is pretty nice. So my house looked like it was untouched when they left and I didn't have to clean anything afterwards in regards to my birth. So if the messiness of birth is discouraging you from home birth and it's something that you would like to do, just know that it's really, it's not as messy as you think it's gonna be or rather you are not gonna have a mess to clean up after because the midwife will do it for you, which is really nice. And so we just got to be in our bed and just rest. And so I felt like I was more rested postpartum. I also was like in less pain because I didn't have an episiotomy 
me this time, like barely tore. I think I had like one stitch with Owen. And so the recovery was definitely a lot easier the second time around as well, which was really nice. And then what was super cool is my midwife actually came back to my house for like several visits. So they came back at like 24 hours to check on us and like do vitals and do all the newborn screening and hearing tests. They came back at three days, a week, and then two weeks. And then they, and then I went to her office at the six week appointment. So it was really nice to have all those extra like appointments with her postpartum just to check on how I was doing, make sure that both of us were healing really well. And so that was like another aspect of home birth that I really liked a lot was the extra postpartum care that you get. So not only during my pregnancy that I receive like longer appointments and more personalized care, I also received a lot more care postpartum as well. So thanks for listening to my second birth story for my son, Owen. His birth was definitely very healing for me. It was exactly what I needed, exactly what I had been preparing for. And so I'm really thankful for the support that I had for that birth with the provider that I had, my team that I had chosen for myself with Roxanne, my husband, my mom. I like how I listed Roxanne first. Like she was the I'm most, the most important. Like support. I didn't, I didn't procreate with this dude. <laughs> like, so there were people that thought Roxanne and I were a lesbian couple that just were like nonstop pregnant. <laughs> Or they thought we were one person, like, who... Just constantly pregnant. Like... Non-stop. <laughs> so we are not in a relationship with each other. My husband is very important to me. <laughs> I was glad he was there at my birth, but very he thankful... He did way more than I did, too. He did a lot during the birth. <laughs> so it was wonderful to be able to choose who was at my birth, and it made a huge difference for me and how I felt and how supported I was during the experience. Thank you for listening to My Birth Story. If you enjoyed this story and our other episodes, be sure to follow our podcast so you get notified whenever we release a new episode. We release new episodes every Wednesday. This podcast is sponsored by Needed, a nutrition company focused on optimal nourishment for your perinatal journey. You can use our code MAMASTAYPOD for 20% off your first order.